Welcome to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse. I'm Kay, a musical theater nerd. And I'm Warren. I'm musically challenged. All right, so today we are doing one of the two exceptions to my usual Black History Month rule this year. Okay, let me see if I can remember what the exceptions are. No. Well, my main rule. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no, I get to swear in this one? No. Oh. Okay. Um, my main rule for these is that I try not to cover shows written by white people. I want to oh, center. Yes. I want to center our voices because everyone like it's why ragtime wasn't during this and why once on this island won't be Black History Month when we do it. It's because those are written by white people. Uh, once on this island, uh, if I remember right, the person who wrote the book that it's based on was black i think but um because it's a ren and flaherty it's still a white people musical so even though it's a black cast it's not necessarily what i consider a black musical this is going to be an exception i mean we can always do uh i, I guess i would call that an ally show yeah yeah that would be like yeah that that's kind of that's probably more what it would be it, it's it's where I will give you more freedom to not swear or to swear. It's where uh, it's uh, it's. Oh, dang it! I was I had a thought I had a funny joke, but then it slipped away like oh so many others. And and I may loosen my restrictions as time goes on, but I really want to focus more on shows written by black people. But this, the next two episodes are going to be exceptions to that rule. Because I, the one that we're doing next after this one is one of the ones that comes to almost everybody's mind except for yours <laughs> when, when you think black Hollywood musical. Um, so we need to cover that one and talk about it. But I want to talk about the show that helped inspire it first. And that show is Green Pastures, or The Green Pastures, as it should be called. But I just wrote Green Pastures in my notes because I'm lazy. <laughs> Don't be lazy, kids. All right, so, like I said, it's the only except or it's, it's an exception to my rule uh, so that you can have some context. Mark Connolly, who wrote the 1931 play The Green Pastures, was not black, but the film adaptation that we'll be watching in a moment was a landmark film at the time. And I'll start with the film because I wasn't getting as much information about the play as I wanted, and I have a feeling that this will never be performed again on stage, that this is one of those shows that, like, it, it's a good thing that we have video footage of it from this era, because otherwise we wouldn't. No, it would just be, here's footnotes about it. Does it in... say the N-word a lot? It's been a long time. I don't think it does. I was just trying to think of reasons why maybe it wouldn't. Um, We'll get into it, and you'll see pretty much right away what I'm talking about. Um, But so, we'll start off with the studio era of Hollywood. So that runs from the 1920s to the 1950s. And according to an essay by G.S. Morris in the Bright Lights Film Journal, 
as well as a thesis that we're going to be using for the Cabin in the Sky episode. And I couldn't let myself go too far down the rabbit hole because I promised myself I wouldn't. I, I think you may have looked over when I was doing research and noticed that I was starting to have more and more tabs get open on hey, my browser. <laughs> you always have a lot of tabs open, so I don't notice such oh, things okay. that, are, that yeah, are, I, I had, consider normal for you. I had closed a bunch of tabs to make it easier, and <laughs> then it was slowly increasing, and that was when I was like, I can't, I can't do this. But there were only six all-black Hollywood films during the Hollywood studio era from so 1920s years. to 50s. Yeah. 30 years. You say five or six? Uh, six. Oh, wow. And that is not counting hey, shows hey, hey. that... You got two a decade. No, okay? Okay, okay? You got two a decade. One every five years. Hmm. <laughs> That's about all you can say. So, and, and and it's not counting ones like some people would try to argue Song of the South. No. Um, there are other ones where, like, there's maybe a scene with a lot of black people in it, but it's not a all-black cast or mostly black cast. Um, it's also, like, there are going to be films that are done by black directors, but they're not Hollywood. They're what would have been, like, independent at the time, so it's not majorly funded by a studio. These are majorly funded by a studio, and there's only six. Is Stormy Weather one of them? Yes. Okay. In fact, I will read them off to you. So, uh, this one is from 1930, or this one's from 1936, but uh, before that we had Hallelujah, and Hearts and Dixie, which were both 1929. Then after The Green Pastures, we have Cabin in the Sky and Stormy Weather, both from 1943, and Carmen Jones from 1954. See, there you go. You got two in 1943. That's why there's such a gap. Mm -hmm. And only one in the 30s. Yeah. yeah. Lovely times. Um and you can't even blame, like, oh, the Great Depression. Well, no, there's movies going on. There's also, there's still movies happening. Come on now. <laughs> anyway, um, this one's going to also be the highest grossing all-black cast film until Carmen Jones in 1954. Green Pastor? Mm-hmm. With tickets selling at what was uh, quoted in one of the sources, 6,000 tickets per hour on its opening day. And wow. in some theaters, it stayed in the theaters for a year. Wow. A year. This is like Avengers. <laughs> but <sighs> problematic. <laughs> but not, but not so problematic for the time. <laughs> See, and then my, my brain was just going, okay, let's get all black uh, superheroes that do their own Avengers I would, thing. I would watch that. I would. I would too. Anyway, it earned an estimated $3,300,000 by 1939, and it only cost $800,000 to make. So that's what you call a successful product. Yes. However, um... We're going to watch the trailer because Warner Brothers was really nervous about watching an all-black film. I'm going to show you the trailer right now, and you can uh, tell me what 
you can tell me what you think Warner Brothers did to make white people less nervous. Oh, it's my wimpers. Oh, it's my wimpers. You're gonna watch something that made mom go, are you kidding me? Got the whole junk from choir at three o'clock. What about four? That's fine. All right, I'll be in the art department at four o'clock. Did they put the smokestack on the ark yet? Oh, yes. Is it simple? Kept it very simple. And Mr. Connolly, why do we keep the sets all so simple? Because the Green Pastures is a story of heaven and of earth, as it might be imagined, by very simple, devout people. And they look at uh, heaven and they look at earth in terms of their own daily experience. Now, in the picture, we're going to try to convey the impression that the players somewhere in Louisiana found all the settings that we're going to show, whether they're the Lord's office in heaven or the big fish fry in heaven, or the nightclub in Babylon, or the fall of Jerusalem, whatever it might be. They must look as though they were places that the actors might have found somewhere in the world that they knew. Otherwise, we won't be able to convey the impression that that heaven is genuine, or that that earth is genuine. You may have hundreds of people dancing in a Babylonian revel, but well, if you look closely, you'll see it's just a little nightclub that they're dancing in. understand, sir. At the preview of the Green Pastures, along with the rest of the audience, I was handed a card on which I was asked... Okay, pencil stash, you, this better not disappoint. I don't remember who that guy was, and I don't really care. He's probably dead now. Well, I didn't even write his name down, because <laughs> I didn't care either. Um, <laughs> we're, we're so cynical. We're so cynical. So, uh, what did you notice was, uh, missing from that trailer? Uh, the people who are gonna be in it? Yes, because white audiences were still racist, and the idea of an all-black movie... (laughs) So they basically had to say, hey, this movie is really good. We had to do all this interesting stuff to see it, so you gotta, you should go see it, because it's pretty good. But if they said, hey, we're doing, Warner Brothers is doing this all-black movie, people would be like, I don't Mm want to go see that. Mm Mm-hmm. And I loved your reaction (laughs) as it started dawning on you. Well, (laughs) when... When he started saying simple people, <laughs> that's some coded language yeah, there. Yeah, I, I, I will tell you when I first watched the trailer, I screamed. <laughs> I, I did a very, you've got to be kidding me, scream, but I'm saying it PG other, for our uh, audience. Yeah, the other thing that nitpicky is when they said Noah's Ark depicting the destruction of the universe. Yeah. Um... You can't flood the universe. No. There's not enough water to flood the universe. Yeah, and, you know, biblical scholar issues aside. What do you know about biblical scholarship? Oh, you know, just did a lot of study of it. Um, Minister in training and all. Yeah. um, That, you can tell with this trailer, you weren't supposed to know that there was an all-black cast until you went into the theater. Well, you you could kind of tell when they were in the uh, 
which I guess is Louisiana, some somewhere in the bayou or something. Mm. Some because you had the cameras filming and there was a bunch of people in white, but I could tell that they were darker of complexion, even though mm. they were far away. Yeah. But that was the only scene, and the camera was quite a ways away to show this crowd, so mm-hmm. that and yeah, everybody else that you saw working on it, white factory workers, <laughs> you know, bored people. Yep. Not a single cast member shown in that. Because what color are aardvarks? Those ones look brown. They're about a little bit grayish. Are they? Mm-hmm. I don't think I remember the last time I, I saw an aardvark. <laughs> I mean, they're, if you believe, I guess they're brownish gray. They're grayish brown. I don't know. Aardvark. Arthur Arthur the aardvark shouldn't be trusted as a source for what aardvarks look like. So aardvarks are kind of cute. They are. Arthur lied to us. I would have been fine with an aardvark that looked like an aardvark for Arthur. I guess the books Arthur looked like an aardvark. Anyway, you're getting me on another tangent. Um, (laughs) I am Warren, the distractor and detractor. (laughs) (laughs) So I could talk about the white guys who wrote the movie or the play, um, but I'm not. Instead, (laughs) we're going to be talking about Rex Ingram, who we're going to be seeing in both this film... And Cabin in the Sky. Rex Engram, huh? Ingram. So is it Rex Saddle Engram? Rex Tech Saddle Engram? Rex, uh... I'm not going to let you do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So hundred. he was... Uh, him being born on October 20th of 1895, 100 years to the date before we met, or 113 years to the date before we met, is cool enough. Um, <laughs> but looking into this guy, I wish I had known about him, and someone needs to do a biopic about the first part of his life. Um, as I read more, I'm kind of not into a biopic about him, but we'll get into it. So, uh, Rex Ingram earned a Phi Beta Kappa key at Northwestern University, being the first black man to do so, and earned a medical degree, according to most of the sources that I found, including one saying he was a licensed physician. Uh, Much like Joseph Bologna, though, his early life is a big shrug. In 1918, however, his life and career would change forever. Uh, IMDb attributes the following quote to him. My career as an actor was quite by chance. I was standing on a Hollywood corner waiting to cross the street when I was discovered by a movie talent scout. I was persuaded that I was just what was needed to play a native in the jungles in the first Tarzan picture. (laughs) Hey, you! We need a black! (sighs) And you know what? Um... That reminds me of when I was in Ragtime and one of our castmates um, was found in the grocery store. They just they just needed they a black just needed person. a black person because not even like, necessarily to dance or sing, just to be there. Well, to sing and dance, but oh. they didn't even ask at the time. They were just like, "You can you sing and dance, kind of? Okay, do you want to be in a play? What? What? In, what? 
Wouldn't that just be incredibly <laughs> offensive to like be grabbed in the middle of the grocery store and someone going, hey, I we mean, live in a very white state and we need more yeah. black people in this production. I mean, I, I don't know. At the same time, there's a certain amount of bravery that comes with like approaching somebody. And it's not like they were doing it in a malicious sense. This is the same one where I almost didn't audition because of the casting call. Mm. So, oh, yeah. So, oh, I, oh, and this was when I was really wanting to break into pro theater and it was very much a wrestling with do I audition or do I not? And I can't remember who it was who said no, audition. And that way they know not to say that again. Like not to ever do a call, a casting call like this again. Um, but yeah, I... <sighs> I can see why he said yes, is my view, I guess. Especially because he's being approached when film is in its infancy. Um, and so it's kind of like a big thing to be approached in Hollywood. And it's sort of the dream that a lot of folks have of getting discovered. I guess that's true. Yeah. No, you're you're exactly yeah. right. Like, just be standing on a street corner and someone will see mm. me and notice my potential. Yeah. The thing that sucks is what he got cast for. And that actually leads to some of his later... It, it, that leads to, I guess, not later, but some of his choices when he was in his prime. So... He's in these t silent Tarzan films in the late 1910s. They're all bit roles. And then he gets cast as slaves and natives in things like the Ten Commandments from 1920 or Salome and the Four Feathers. Um, but he goes on Broadway and he gets cast in uh, Porgy... Or he first gets cast in uh, Porgy, which was by DuBose Hayward, and then gets cast in the opera adaptation of Porgy, Porgy and Bess, by George, or by uh, Ira Gershwin. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Gershwin later as well. And so he's in the, he's in that, and then he's in a touring production of Emperor Jones as the Emperor in 1933, and that was actually his favorite role. Yeah, he was the emperor. Yeah, and then he's in the Federal Theater Project's production of Haiti in 1938 as the lead, Christoph, and Haiti was about the Haitian Revolution. And at some point we'll talk about the Federal Theater Project, but that's more encompassing for all of theater history rather than just black theater history, but a lot of big, important black stars and theaters did get their start during this time. Um, while he's doing Broadway and films, he's also a pro boxer. Dang. Yeah, he's he is just working. He's he's the he's the American uh uh uh, uh Joseph Bologna. Yeah, basically, yeah. And uh then he gets cast in Emperor Jones the film adaptation alongside Paul Robeson who uh, is a legend of stage and film. Um, I may have talked about him a little bit last <laughs> well, year. You know, even if you did, that was last year, and I can't remember yeah, what happened last yeah. week. So. I'm trying to remember. We'll, we'll catch some stuff that he was in, too. 
Um, and then he gets cast in Oscar Micheaux's Harlem After Midnight, which, fun fact, Oscar Micheaux was the first black man to produce a feature film with his film The Homesteader, which he also wrote and directed. So nice. there's some fun uh, film history there that no one ever tells you about. So... <laughs> In 1936, he has his breakout role as Delaude, Adam, and Hesdrill in The Green Pastures. Not so fun fact, uh, Delaude was supposed to be played by Al Jolson in blackface. I'm glad they didn't. Yeah, that didn't happen, thank God. Glad they didn't. And so they went to the aforementioned Paul Robeson, who was like, absolutely not, which... <laughs> Will be fun when we cover the show that, uh, and this whole thing will be fun when we cover the show that Green Pastures inspired, Cabin in the Sky, where we get a return of Rex Ingram as Lucius and Lucifer Jr. Can I ask a question? Yes. So, in this movie, they almost had a white guy in blackface acting with black people. Mm-hmm. Is was that common? Because from from what I understood, okay, yeah. Okay, so I, in my memory of you telling me stuff, it was usually black people were not cast, and so they just had white people oh. in blackface. And so eventually, I figured... we'll cut. Eventually, we'll. No, I don't ever want to watch it again. Actually, um, if you want to get your blood pressure up, you can watch Birth of a Nation. There are black actors cast, but the leads are all people in blackface, Neat. pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess okay then. I yeah, was just sitting here thinking Hollywood has this weird thing where it's like It's called racism. Yeah, but like it's it's a weird type of racism <laughs> cuz it's like, oh, we want to have black people as main characters, but God forbid we have a black person play a black person. <laughs> or we you know what? Want to... <laughs> it's, it's like James Corden in prom. Mm. Well, okay, it's not as bad as James Corden in prom. Because, or it's worse than James Corden in prom. Words. It's, it's worse than James Corden in prom because this is just... Uh, we're not a costume. <sighs> anyway. <sighs> Oh man, my uh, my step counter just your went heart, nuts. your heart rate just spiked a little bit. <laughs> so I got you that for Christmas, and I guess it's just going to be a rage tracker. Yeah, it's a rage tracker. <laughs> oh man, it's got me going at. It's about to tell me because it it kind of shook at me. <laughs> well, you're, you're, but, you're um, coming down now. But anyway, anyway. yeah, so. When I say that this was kind of a breakout role for him, wow, it's only 67 beats per minute. That's weird. Um, it's it's time to remember that this is the 1930s through the 60s, Hollywood, and he is a black man, meaning that a lot of roles are not offered to him that are like major roles, and he's still doing a lot of minor roles in the 30s. Um, but then he gets sort of like... He gets... Not so minor roles, but definitely not lead roles uh, for this part in the 30s. In 1939, he's cast as Jim in The Adventures of Huck Finn and has a lot of, for lack of a better term, magical Negro roles. Yeah. Sometimes literally in the case of his role as the genie in The Thief of Baghdad, but he also plays a self-sacrificing Sudanese soldier in Sahara, 
the aforementioned Jim, who teaches Huck not to be a racist, and the wizened outcast Moe's in Moonrise, where he, he... He was Jim in... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he's he's the wizened Moe's in Moonrise, where he helps the young white hero be better. He is the start of the magical Negro. Well, one of the starts. It's such a frustrating thing to me that you can have black people in mentor roles. You can have black Mm -hmm. people in supporting roles where they help the hero achieve their goal, Mm -hmm. but they're not allowed to be the hero. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's just so frustrating because it's like you, you took that step, you took that step, but you didn't take it one step further. Mm -hmm. And he kind of, uh, we'll get into it a little bit, but he kind of gets frustrated too. And, um, bet. yeah, and, uh, at one point he, he does get to be the board of directors for the studio actors guild, Wow! but that doesn't mean that he has power to make the substantial change that's needed at this time, mm. but he starts getting more stardom. So he's able to start turning down roles. Ah, nice. And so he makes a point to turn down every role that is demeaning because he has influence and he knows that the best way to use his influence is to push towards equality. In fact, he's quoted in the New York Times saying, I decided two years ago to help our cause to the best of my ability. I wouldn't take parts which didn't at least do us justice. Pretty awesome. Fantastic. And then in 1948, he gets arrested, pleads guilty to, and goes to prison for transporting a 15-year-old white girl for immoral purposes. For immoral purposes. Yep. Ah. Yep. Ah. Oh, oh, man. Oh, come on, dude. I'm going to quote some of the stuff that just makes me go, oh. So, after nine months of his 18-month sentence was served, he was released on parole, and later he wrote an essay for Ebony called I Came Back from the Dead about his return to his career and talked about this saying, My trouble arose from a casual, genuinely warm friendship with a young woman. That friendship was distorted and misunderstood. Because the woman happened to be white, I was persecuted and made target of charges and innuendos. Like anybody else, I made a few mistakes. A couple might be termed major ones. We kind of have to pay for our mistakes in this life, and I certainly have paid for mine. And I couldn't find anything to say... What exactly what happened? What exactly happened? Whether or not he but, was an adult male who had a minor that was a friend, or yes. if he was engaged in, mm-hmm. yeah. And neither neither one is good. If, yeah, if you're in a because I mean I assume that at this point he like he was probably in his late twenties, thirties. He was yeah he was forty. Let's see, okay. nineteen forty eight. So you, yeah, too, he was too, too, he was too old to be hanging with a fifteen year old. Yeah, too old to have a fifteen year old as a friend. Yeah, not unless <laughs> unless it's a situation of he's friends with their parents. Yeah, like and it's one of those things. Daughter. It's one of those things where I'm like. Dude, 
15 is still 15. Uh, that's exactly. a baby. I'm like, that's 15 is a baby. I'm like, I'm sitting here going, that's not okay now. No. Like, if it's not okay now. <laughs> and so that was where I was sitting here going, because I saw a white woman, and then I saw 15 year old <laughs> white woman. I'm just like, Rex. <laughs> I'm just like, Rex, no. <laughs> Oh, but yeah. Oh he's, man, he's still a brilliant actor, but my view's a little tainted. You know, I really—that's the thing too—is because he's been people. So often, people get caught for something. Very rarely do they go, you know, especially if it's if it's engaged in inappropriate activities with a minor. Mm-hmm. Very rarely do they actually go. Yeah, I did that, and it was wrong, and I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. And when he's saying that, oh, it was a friendship that people misconstrued. I'm still like, yeah, I'm still like, and I'm kind of sitting here like, how did you not, how, how did, how, how did you how not did realize you the survive? optics? That too, the fact that he only served, the fact that he was sentenced to 18 months and he only served nine, mm-hmm. I think is that a, is some star power right there. It's, it's, I guess the argument could be made that he, because of his star power, earned a bit of privilege and was able yeah. to get away with something that someone not yeah. a star would not have gotten away with. Because I'm sitting here like that was a little white. That is the that is the thing that like got kids killed at, at like not too long after this. Yeah, whistling at a white woman. <laughs> yes. So I'm just my mind is blown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you get to go on the journey with me now of how my brain just was like it it was like a a record scratch (laughs) as I'm going through and then just (laughs) (laughs) you might be wondering how I got here (laughs) 15 year old white girl I just and then he still gets a career I mean, that's some. He must have been a phenomenal actor and a very charming and suave individual. Yeah, like that was that was what blew my mind. Was I was going okay, and his career's over, and nope, he's in the he's the first black man to be cast as a regular in a soap opera now. (laughs) He was cast in The Brighter Day, which was canceled after a month because, well, it it was a nineteen, it it was an early. Uh, TV soap opera and soap operas at the time kind of oh, I'm going to try not to do a history of TV on you so soap operas started on radio but moved mm-hmm. to TV and they kind of oversaturate the market ah. and so it starts to whittle down to where by now we have general hospital days of our lives and nope all my children ended all as the world turns ended I think we've only got like two uh, re- remind me, soap operas are popular because they have a new episode every day. Every day, and they're basically written that uh, written in advance, but then they film it that day and then release it that day. Like it's it's just a there and done. There, it's it's as close to live theater live theater every day, but they turn the mics up all the way so that you hear every single mouth noise oh my gosh (sighs) yeah i i can't watch soap operas because it just makes me angry 
I mean, I don't want to grab a pencil and just jam it in my ear. I mean, granted, I've never been into soap operas anyway, just because daytime drama TV. The noises just... No. Anyway, he gets to do all this TV and movies still, um, but his last role is on the Christmas episode of The Bill Cosby Show. Not The Cosby Show, The Bill Cosby Show, uh, titled A Christmas Ballad. And he films the episode at Cosby's request, even though he's really, really ill at this time. And then he passes on September 19th, 1969. So this episode airs posthumously December 21st, 1969. Does it say what he died of? Um, I did not see... I did not look to see. I, I want guess, to say it was a heart attack. So I mean, so natural causes. So. Yeah, it was. It was natural causes. He wasn't. He was starting to get up there in years. He had had Hollywood lifestyle before that. So, I mean, if if we ever get into deciding to branch off and do film history ever, we'll talk about Fatty Arbuckle and why he was part of what ruined movies for a very big chunk of time and led to uh, Camelot and Lost Horizon. <laughs> so he's who's the You blame. can thank him for the Hayes Code. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, Rex Ingram, the complicated life history of someone who I just sort of went, oh no, when I got to the 40s. And that has been the complicated life of Rex Ingram. Here... On Tone Deaf, hosted by Kay and Warren. Welcome to Tone Deaf Theatre. Welcome to Tone Deaf Theatre. You just got us DCMA. Thank you a lot. Uh, no, I didn't do all the parts. I can't do that. I don't have three uvulas like Willie the Operatic Whale. Anyway, <laughs> that being said, shall we go watch Green Pastures and get some... Bible learning in us? Yeah. I want to see heaven and earth represented as places in Louisiana. And that that's going to tie into when we watch Cabin in the Sky so that you I, get the idea of what... I kind of assumed that when they were like, Cabin in the Sky, I was like, oh, because they're saying that mm-hmm. places, places in Louisiana. So that these simple folk have something to identify with. Yeah, that's why I screamed at the computer the other day. <laughs> Kay needs a screaming pillow this episode. Yep. Anyway, let's go and watch us um, The Green Pastures. Woo! Let's go. Kay, Kay! Do you know what time it is? What time is it, Warren? It's time to thank our favorite people in the whole wide world. Is it time to thank our Patreon sponsors? It is! Yay! We would like to thank our stage crew sponsors, Reagan and Jasmine Wu, and our producer circle sponsors, Bianucci and Taylor Brandt. Thank you all so much for your continued support of our show. We truly appreciate it. Hi, I'm Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandy Fleets. And we're from Book, Book of Lies, the podcast where we discuss liars, cheats, and thieves, scammers, and dirty, rotten scoundrels. You can tune in for new episodes every Tuesday to hear about another lowdown, dirty liar, and learn how to spot them. So that's Book of Lies podcast, 
You can connect with us on social media, Twitter at Book of Lies Pod, Facebook and Instagram at Book of Lies Podcast. Bye. Bye. And now the lights are going down and the music starting back up. So let's head back to the second act of our show. So, little heads up, we actually started recording this second half of the episode right after watching The Green Pastures, and then some further discussion made us go, we need to take a little bit deeper of a look. And I tried to do as deep of a look as I could without going down a rabbit hole and still following my own self-appointed rules of not doing too much for myself this year. <laughs> um, so there was one thing that I had forgotten to mention when we were initially talking about Green Pastures. So the play itself is not original. It is based on a book of short stories called Ole Adam and His Chillin' by Rourke Bradford, who is a white guy who uh, kind of did a little bit of a Uncle Remus treatment. And uh, for those who know about Uncle Remus, that is uh, the character that the movie Song of the South is based on. Those books are written by a white guy, and it's... uh, I don't... I haven't gone into the research recently to know if it's been determined that he wrote all of those and made them all up to make it seem like black people in the South were inferior or not. But, um, yeah, that's kind of where this Rourke Bradford was going with his original Ol' Adam and his chillin'. And... It looks like The Green Pastures was better received by the black community than the material that it was based on, like the book. And I should say Green Pastures, the play, was received better. But it wasn't received 100% like, this is amazing, there was a lot of, oh no, 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 from them, because... It's 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 something that we're still dealing with now that it's do we allow representations that are not necessarily as good to exist alongside what we're trying to use to push forward progress. And so really that's kind of where this all fell in. Now, we did talk a little bit about, because the story of Green Pastures on the surface level is, it's, on the surface level, it's a bunch of kids at Sunday school imagining the Bible. Of course, they open it up with a disclaimer that makes it, and the trailer that makes it basically go, oh, look at these simple black people. Yeah, uh, more rude than that, but yes, yes, that's what it boils down to. And then when you look at it under the surface, as soon as you start to 
think about it more, there are little things that make it seem more like a religious critique. And it's... I couldn't find anything to say that the writer of the play was doing that. Because a lot of it... A lot of Green Pastures shows God as it goes on, more and more flawed. And that's not a portrayal you ever see. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the closest that you see is in a show you haven't seen yet called Children of Eden. That's by Stephen Schwartz, which it did Godspell. So we'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get to it. That's the closest that I can think of where you see God portrayed in a religious-ish setting being flawed. And it's the, you know, and as you and I discussed with this, you know, the biggest reason for that is one of the cornerstones of a religion to generally have uh, uh, any any weight behind its, its rules is that they come from a all-knowing, all-powerful, mm -hmm. omnipotent being. Yeah. And so if you represent the, the, uh, uh, originator, the prime mover of this religion as flawed, then you start the the house of cards issue, the you know, the yeah. Jenga Tower of well what about this? What about this? If he was if God was wrong about this, then what about this? Mm -hmm. Which you and I Kay and I are very, very torn because given yeah. given the fact that this show for the time that it was released is not as problematic as it could be. Yeah, it, it could is, be so much worse. It, they, that's the thing is we were talking about. If they just would remove the opening Star Wars scrawl that says, you know, black people in the South are simple. Yeah, uh, you could put this show in any location, and it would be. Mm -hmm. It would be, and this is where we're also not sure. It would either be unintentionally brilliant, or it would be intentionally brilliant yeah because if you when as we were digging about it and poking at it and unraveling it we were realizing that there is a lot of subversive mm -hmm. religious mm -hmm. teaching in here a lot of it that is that is at least from our perspective when we were talking about it that encourages people to take one step beyond what they are taught yeah. and then inquire and a little bit of a thing for you guys listening, if this is your first episode, Warren was not raised religious at all. But the the cliff notes is that both my parents were raised pretty pretty dang religious, and by the time I was born, they were both having a crisis of faith. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom felt like there was that I needed to have some form of God in my life, and so she had always just told me, you know be a good person because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So a little bit more of just the, she kind of always gave me the, you know, God loves you no matter what. Yeah. Just be a good person. Be good to other people because you would mm -hmm. want them to be good to you. And that worked for me. I, yeah. I kind of got raised without any of the, the religious guilt. None yeah. of the, you know, Jesus died for you kind of thing. And I'm grateful yeah. for that. And other than um, going to church for like friends kids baptisms blessings, or blessings baptisms. funerals yeah it, you didn't have as much exposure to church no i did not then there's me then there's you who <laughs> was a minister in training at one point i i was getting ready to i when i was going through colleges i was getting ready to go to pacific lutheran 
or whatever it's called now. I don't know what it's called anymore because I've. That's how long it's been since I. It's but, a different life, a different K. Like I, I, my mom wanted me to be exposed to every possible religion because my mom was born Catholic, and my mom and grandparents were like, "We're not saddling K with this, so let's give you." as much experience as you can in everything and it wasn't until i went to a lutheran school that i kind of got religion guilted into me uh just to fit in because i was so good at doing things to just fit in um, i mean yeah. <laughs> at when, least to survive <laughs> not to fit in to survive i mean when you're one of the 12 black people who live in utah mm -hmm. you know you feel a little yeah. outnumbered <laughs> yeah i was i was one of two in my class one of three in the school yeah <laughs> so it was it was very it, so we're coming from it from two very different views of religion and two different experiences of religion and that we both hit the same thing makes me think that it might it, have yeah. been purposeful but purposely i purposely subversive but yeah. kind of played because it, 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 it feels like that it was that you have this brilliant underline to the entire show, but they have to kind of make it overtly mammy to an extent. Yeah. Because it's like they're they're trying to they want to get white people to go see it. They're and they want to get black people to go see it. So they have to you know, it it seems like they were kind of trying to on a, on a surface level, on a cosmetic level, make it as appealing to as broad of an audience for the time, mm -hmm. which was a very racist time. Yeah. But the underlining current of it is oh. quite brilliant, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, like you have your, you have some of your archetypes, though I will say, actually, that you don't have as many of your really racist caricature archetypes in this. They which don't. Is surprising it, it for something written by a white person in the 30s <laughs> and see that's the other thing that we're coming to is because if for something in the the 30s when it was written they could have they could have run the freaking gamut yeah. of all the racist stereotypes and it would have been and it would have been considered fine for the times mm -hmm. it would have been fine to release and people would have gone and, and seen it yeah NAACP would have denounced it yeah but then white society would have either A, not cared, or B, gone in even bigger droves. They, they would have been like, oh, well, if they're saying it's bad, then... Yeah, because it's that whole backlash that from swing. progressive. Uh, and, um, yeah. But yeah, it's... If, if it weren't for the time period it's in, I would immediately say this was subversive. They were doing that on purpose and getting people to question. But even in the takedown of the green of the green pastures that i saw from a religious studies person and i i started reading it and then i had to stop myself because i could feel myself getting into that uh little rabbit hole that i tend to go into where i don't come out for weeks and then i've yeah. already grown a gray beard <laughs> um and so i i had to stop myself but i wasn't quite seeing it like that it i i wasn't seeing the discussion of the fact that this movie brings up the idea of god is fallible i i went in until the very end and i should say it after the end of the show when we then came and sat down and started to talk about it i i 
was not necessarily a fan of the show. Yeah, Because same. I didn't like the way that they portrayed, you know, things. I didn't like the way that they were very condescending and, and down-talking to the, mm-hmm. to the black people of the show. Just It had that very, oh, you simple people. Mm-hmm. And I, I really didn't like that. But as you and I were talking more and more about it, we started to unravel it and kind of realize that the show might be secretly brilliant. And if you take away just that beginning racist scrawl, it, it automatically makes the show better. Yeah. And Kay and I are both of the mind that this show needs a revival. Like, yeah. it, if you just, you wouldn't really have to change much of anything because mm-hmm. the the um, the imagining of what heaven is like is coming from the perspective of a bunch of grade schoolers. And yeah. so everything around them is just... What they see. Is just what they see. So, you know, God is in a suit and the angels are wearing kind of normal attire, you know, other than having wings. You know, yeah. Some of them have robes and stuff. But, you know, they talk about having a fish fry and, yeah. and drinking custard. You know, things that did not exist in ancient... Mm. Well, I mean, technically... The, you know, the stuff they're talking about is Genesis, so before the creation of the Earth. But anyway, yeah. I digress. <laughs> uh, so we we very much feel like if you were to take this show, pluck, plop it anywhere in America... At any at time. At any time period, without the racist scroll, it would be a great show. Like, you could take this, drop it in Utah, change the fish fry to a potluck or a bake yeah, sale. sure. Have the... Oh, instead of drinking custard, he's eating green jello with carrot shavings. <laughs> and, like, the thing that they're having to deal with when God is coming down instead of seeing gam... Well, he could be seeing gambling and stuff. It still fit. That would still fit. But, like, you can you can find current day vices, because mm-hmm. that was the vices of the time, was gambling, drinking, smoking. And granted, gambling is illegal in Utah, so it would still fit. You yeah, it would the, still fit. You know, and smoking is, is I not... I went up and got my scratchers in Idaho. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You could still have, you know, you could still have gambling, gambling, drinking, smoking, that would still fit yeah. the, the, the narrative of being like, oh, you shouldn't be doing this stuff, you sinful, simple people. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So... <sighs> It's, we, it was like it was like watching little rascals telling the Bible a little bit, or like imagining the Bible. Well, yeah, imagining you didn't it. watch the old little rascals, uh, but just just that was the a little feel snippets. that I had from watching this was the old old little rascals. Because one of the things they don't tell you, um, or I feel like they didn't, I because I didn't catch it until way later, was that you know, and we've talked about it is that the imagining of heaven is from the perspective of the children mm-hmm. because they don't make it all that obvious until later it cuz uh, you just think that it might be the pastor i guess telling yeah. the, the parishioner yeah. telling the, the uh he would be the uh minister minister telling you know telling yeah. the kids about what heaven is like and telling kids about genesis and they're doing their best to try and imagine it uh uh with the reference material they have available to them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is perfectly fine. It, mm-hmm. The fact that it wasn't... Like I said, it, even even as, as black and white as it is right now, literally, because it's in black and white, <laughs> if you just take out that racist scroll in the beginning, mm-hmm. it automatically changes the entire 
tone yes. of the show. Yes. You don't have to open up your show going, these people are dumb. Yeah. That is not necessary. Yeah. Unless it, you're telling a story that is purposely about fools or something. Yeah. But it's just, it was, it exists, it existed entirely to degrade the, the, the heroes, the subject, the yeah. people telling the story. Yeah. That's the only reason it exists, because if this was being told at, in you know, in a southern state, but it was an all-white cast, they wouldn't have that opening oh, scroll. Oh, no. Oh, God, That would no. not exist. And so it's only there to be racist. Yeah. And that's the biggest issue. Like, it just needs... Yeah, like that I said... That needs to be yeeted. Take that show, put it anywhere else, even you put it in the exact same town, but modern day, without the opening scroll completely different show completely mm -hmm. different tone mm -hmm. everything and after Kay and i have had a chance to talk about it and kind of sit with it i i kind of like the show yeah i it 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 has some clever things to it and i just had this realization too the only reason that we started thinking about that was because we were starting to dissect the plot to each other yeah yeah, because we it was it. it was the literal thunderclap moment was a scene with Noah that made me go, oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing. Yeah, because as as we talked about, God is portrayed as just another person. Yeah, like the way that the angels react to him, it's obvious that he's the boss. You know, they listen mm -hmm. to what he says, they do what he, what they're told, but he seems you know, more or less intellectually on a similar level. Yeah. Because he'll ask them, you know, like in the same thing, like there's a part in heaven where he brings some some uh, uh, souls that have come up, you know. Uh, uh, Abraham, he, Isaac, and uh, Jacob. Yeah, he brings them up and asks them questions, you mm -hmm. know. And this is supposed to be God, the omnipotent, the... All-knowing. The all-knowing, the <laughs> omnipresent. Like, this is supposed to be the creator. So the fact that you have this creator figure asking beings that he has created mm -hmm. you know uh, uh, essentially lesser beings their opinion and getting ideas from these lesser beings and having yeah. a powerful realization that changes the very nature of what he as god is mm -hmm. by the end of it is quite earth shattering to, yes. like it it <laughs> and that's one of the things as Kay and i talked about the fact that the show was so popular on broadway for 18 months then it had a five-year tour around the country you have to kind of ask yourself now was it were people going to see the the desecration of black people in it or were they going because they were having a philosophical religious experience yeah it's hard to tell because there is not enough information on it yeah. documented from that time. And at the same time, it was a different time, mm -hmm. and it wasn't necessarily as considered as... Uh, it wasn't birth of a nation. Well, it also wasn't... It also probably <laughs> wasn't a time that was considered as okay to have uh, philosophical quandaries about religion. Mm -hmm. It was very much like... If you don't accept it, then you're a heathen, heathen or a blasphemer. You yeah, know, it not wasn't... in movies, at least. In on stage, different ball ground because they didn't have the Hayes Code. But movies, for sure, it was like, oh, you can't say this, this, or this about religion. Oh, you can't say this, this, or this about race. You can't say this, this, or this about politics. So, it's it's why I'm sitting here going, did they intend that? Because if so, like, 
if it hadn't have been for us talking about it, I would have written this off. I would have too. I really would have too. And I kind of was prepared to, but you know, like we're saying, we're talking about it. And then you had some, some good uh, bits where you were pointing out stuff that I had kind of missed because I was taking notes, Mm -hmm. which also made me have a complete reevaluation of everything that I had watched. Yeah. So with that being said, you think we should talk about it now? I think we should talk about the green pastures. The green pastures. Now, mourn together, children. <laughs> mourn and never tire of old good family racism. Uh, Certainly loud. Huh. Which I do, it's funny, we had subtitles, and I did laugh how nobody calls God Lord, it's all Lod. Like mm-hmm. Lod, L-A-W-D, so it's got that, yes. that southern... Um, What's it called? It's got the uh, dialect that they would have used. And I thought there was another term I was looking for, but dialect. Yeah. Yeah, And what's interesting about it, too, is that that's probably how it's written in the script. Because how I showed you from last year, the way that I would have to read like William Wells Brown's script, how it was just in the (laughs) dialect. So every character Which had their dialect did written. a fantastic job with i would have stumbled over my tongue way more than you did practice my dear <laughs> it's practice you are also the thespian decades of acting k is an actor <laughs> so the patronizing intro squall squall scrawl is basically black people are simple, so they imagine heaven as things that they see on earth because they lack imagination. Mm-hmm. Neat. Uh, an older man is ringing a church bell while his grandson is like, "Why is it called a watch?" He's holding his grandpa's pocket watch, which you know, fair question, little man. I don't know why we call watches watches. We don't watch them. We look at them and then put them back away. But then Kay was like, well, a watch has face. Yep, has a, a face. watch has a face. So That's why it's a watch. Back. Yeah, which then made me go, well, that note doesn't work then. <laughs> it still works. Because <laughs> gra- it's just me pulling something out of thin air. No, there you go. But Grandpa Bellringer tells the grandson they're called watches because they watch. Because they have faces, as Kay has said. Anyways, the power of the church bell draws all the children from around the entire town for Sunday school, and uh, Mr. Deshay is eating dinner with a family that he's he's visiting, mm-hmm. uh, but the call of the church bell pries him away from the dinner table, and he grabs the son, I thought it was his grandson at first, but it's just the, the boy of the family that he's dining with, mm-hmm. and to take him to church for Sunday school. On the way, Mr. Deshay collects all the children along the road and takes them to church, where he tells them about the book of Genesis and stuff, and how people live to be old, real old, like 900 <laughs> years old. And the kids start asking questions like, what did the world look like in the beginning? And if Louisiana was around then? And but Mr. Deshay says the whole world was just a mess of bad weather. On their way to the church, because uh, eventually the preacher's joined by all the kids, and they pass a circus poster and one of the little boys is holding an abc book and he's just well they i don't see this one on the poster do you think oh because they're animals minister minister do they have aardvarks in the circus and it was just so cute and um 
all those kids oh, were my cute. Head. And it just, comes back later. I was with about the to art say parts. that though, but like all the kids that they cast in this are really dang cute, especially the ones who have the majority of speaking lines yeah. in camera time. Really cute little kids. It's it's like they put out a call going, "We need the cutest children. That we need the kids that you just want to pinch their little cheeks." <laughs> and <laughs> you know, my thought was, my thought was, is that we're going to be showing this to racist white people, so we got to get really cute little kids. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that that's it's it's the same as the Into the Spider Verse thing, where it was, "Let's make Miles Morales." look like Bambi <laughs> Big so eyes. that everybody humanizes him and goes, this is a child. I feel for this child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The kids ask other questions of Mr. Deshay, and he says that another person told him that the Bible doesn't have time to give all the details to all these questions. Hmm. A convenient excuse for Mr. Deshay, who then goes on to just tell the kids that heaven is like angels just chilling around and they have fish fries every week. Maybe every day. Lots of fishing anyways, and lots of cooking and plenty of good food for all. Which I'm like, hey, I'm down with mm-hmm. that. If heaven is just chilling and eating good food, man, I'm, yeah. I'm all right for that. And it's very similar to how you would approach this with a Sunday school class, regardless. That you yeah. try to make it something that children can relate to. Something because... that they enjoy, that they can relate to, because that's the idea of heaven as paradise, is that it's just yeah. it's just wall-to-wall good times, and that's why you got to be a good person and follow God's rules, mm-hmm. so you can get into heaven where it's just a good time all the time. Yep, it's not until uh, you hit your theology classes where it's like, actually, <laughs> with heaven... You're in God's presence all the time, and you're just worshiping God all the time. What about the unlimited French fries you're telling me about? (laughs) You get to worship God all the time. You don't care about French fries. I do, though. God is such a diva. (laughs) But it it was so cute because it just reminded me of when I got to teach Sunday school class and Mm -hmm. how cute those little kids were and how... My one co-teacher had been telling the story of Jesus walking on the water, (laughs) and she brings the question up to all the little kids, and who walked on the water to Jesus? And one of the kids, Peter Pan! (laughs) That's right! Like, just glossed over. (laughs) And what makes me laugh about that, too, is I think that... In the Disney cartoon Peter Pan, there is a scene where he walks on water because he can fly. So I That's think, right. And I wonder if the kid, the kid probably got his Peters crossed. His Peter. <laughs> now, come on, children. Don't be weary, weary. We're in heaven now. And angels are fishing on clouds, and some angels are smoking 10-cent cigars. One angel baby nearly chokes to death on a catfish on bone. On a catfish bone, the scene where she's shaking this angel upside down, like, you let go of that catfish bone. And you I know it's supposed to be funny, but I'm sitting here going, I was oh, no, too. no, no, no. I was like, is there choking to death in heaven? I was like, <laughs> Seems like an oversight. We need to file a, a report with God. But anyway, they're smoking ten-cent cigars with other angels while they groom each other, like on their wings. Apparently, angels in heaven are pretty much just like people. Do angels have oropigial glands? What's that again? It's the gland right up above a bird's butt where they get oil and then rub it through their feathers. I mean, we don't 
We don't ever see that in this. We just see them brushing the wings. Because if but, you have feathers, you have to have an erpidial gland. But for all we know, the camera cuts away as the brush goes back to get more oil. So you'd have to... Or there's special angel wing oils because they've got hands and they don't need to worry about... Uh, they just ask God for more firmament so that they can clean their wings. Yes. <laughs> then again, these we all know that angels don't look like this. They're... Yes. Balls of fire and multiple eyes. You and I were talking about that, how funny that would be in a a, a, a revival that they show. Uh, is it is it Genesis or is it Book of Enoch that they talk it's, about what angels look like? Uh, Ezekiel talks about angels. Revelations talks about angels. But how they're, they're monstrosities, mm-hmm. basically. This one has four faces. One's a lion. This one has Rawr. six wings. This one's made of eyes. <laughs> this one's on fire. <laughs> like... It would be hard to explain to a bunch of elementary school kids that the angels that are looking out for you and protecting you are these horrible monstrosities. Oh, as soon as I found out that cherubim have four faces and one's a lion, one's an ox, one's an eagle, and one's a man, I was like, dude, that's way cooler. Sign me up for that. Sistine Chapel would look a lot different. Sistine Chapel would look so good and now I need to draw it. Oh, but yes, angels in heaven are apparently just like people. You've got kids disobeying and getting threatened with violence. You have kids eating food and getting belly aches. Other angels complaining that their disobedient children must have imp blood in them because <laughs> they're so vexing. That's such a great line. <laughs> Some angels talk about Satan and how he's just a troublemaker up in heaven and how he isn't around anymore, and they wonder what happened to him. <laughs> Gabriel shows up to be like, Hey! God's coming! And everybody is like, oh, oh, get ready for God. And God comes out to be like, is everyone being good? Is everyone baptized? Is everyone saved? Good, good. And then God takes an offered drink and cigar. But then God is like, there's something wrong with this custard drink. It doesn't have enough firmament. And then the angel custard cook is like, we don't have enough firmament, God. And then God is like, I'm God. I'll make a miracle. I'll make more firmament. <laughs> the firmament turns out to be too much and all the angels get soggy. And God is like, me, dang it. That's, <laughs> that's the problem with miracles. You always have to make more miracles to counteract the other miracles. It's like dominoes toppling over one another. A hundred million miracles. That's a throwback. <laughs> And then God decides to make the world with all the mountains and streams and rivers and fields and the sun while he's at it. Yeah. Whimper girl. Yeah. And all the angels are like, oh, that looks nice, God. And God is all, I made a garden too, and I don't want it to go to waste. So I'm going to go down there and make somebody to enjoy my garden. <laughs> God then tells Gabriel that he's the man of the house while he's gone, and that he better make sure heaven runs smoothly, like always. <laughs> the angels sing to God as he leaves heaven, and God sets out to make man on earth so someone can appreciate his garden and follow all his rules, like not eating fruit from special trees. <laughs> Anyways, so God leaves heaven, and then immediately we just see Adam waking up and being like, Huh, I exist now. <laughs> and God is all, What is your name? And Adam announces that he is him. And God is like, Neat, but you need a family. 
and then he tells Adam to close his eyes, and BAM! He manifests Eve right next to Adam, and he tells them to take care of each other, because he's not sure if this new experiment called humanity will survive. So for, <laughs> so for the time being, just drink some water from the streams, eat some food from the trees, and uh, just chill. You know, except don't eat food from this one specific tree. Don't do it. And then Adam and Eve look directly into the camera and are like, yes, Lord. And then God bails, saying that he has a hundred thousand things to do before they take their next breath. I love the trick photography in that with uh, Rex acting to himself yes. as God and Adam. Yes. And it's, I, lo uh, I love the way that they do that. And especially looking back on uh, the, looking back on the movie with new eyes, I'm sort of like, oh, this is brilliant to have God and Adam be the same person. Well, especially because he has the line, I will make a new cre creation in my own mm -hmm. image. Yeah. Um, and that is the line from the Bible is that God will make Adam in his own image, but to actually do that. Yeah, it was a nice touch really for the show. Cool. And it's funny because I didn't catch that right away because God has this big old beard. Mm -hmm. And because I have the object permanence of a two-year-old, I was like, <laughs> oh, well, he doesn't have a beard, so he's an entirely different person. <laughs> and also the memory of me saying that Rex plays God and Adam and Estral. <laughs> yeah, that, that part may have... Uh... I think that part may have escaped me once I started watching the show and going, man, there's a lot of racism in here. Mm -hmm. But back at Sunday school, Mr. Deshay is asking if the kids know what happens next after Adam and Eve are created. And then the scene cuts right to Cain killing Abel <laughs> and God telling Cain that he's committed the first crime and that he has to leave and go start a family because nothing makes a man forget his troubles like starting a family, which as Kay can... Anyway, I guess anybody who's who's read that part of the Bible or know about it, God's not happy. And God he, is very not happy. And he curses Cain. And, <laughs> and it's like, it's almost like um, the, it feels almost like the minister was getting a little excited telling the kids about Cain and Abel and then realized he needed to hit the brakes really fast because he was going to get to a part of the Bible that... You know, there are parts of the Bible that get very difficult to cover with Sunday school children without opening up even more questions. I mean, the, as we know, the God of the Old Testament isn't a very nice God. Mm -mm, He's very, mm -mm. very wrathful. Yeah. He, he does a lot of genocide. Yeah. And they, they do talk. Oh, my God. <sighs> God has the biggest body count yeah. out of any character we have covered in Tone Death. This is true. God in this version has the biggest body count. You are 100% correct. <laughs> because even before that, like, when we cover the Ark and Children of Eden, those body counts are also covered in this. Ark <laughs> and Children of Eden don't go into the rest of the body counts of God. <laughs> And with with this, it was kind of funny because they sort of gloss over the eating the apple. <laughs> yeah, they don't talk about it at all. Yeah. They don't show Adam and Eve getting kicked out of, mm -mm. of the garden or anything. Which is kind of... 
it's you know cons- it's interesting because you know it is okay like yeah it, even though they're talking about the old testament god who is the wrathful god they do leave out a lot of god's wrath mm-hmm. to an extent mm-hmm. and uh and it you know granted it is telling it to children yeah so I, you know it, it makes it a lot more g yeah overall than what and the bible actually is a lot of is. god's wrath is played for laughs a little bit, except yeah. the part where people die, but yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, when they're, oh, he's just throwing thunderbolts down. Not... <laughs> Mad at humans, and so he's just, he's like Zeus from on Olympus, just yeah. hurling thunderbolts, just like, oh, I made you a nice garden, <laughs> and then you ate fruit that I told you not to, <laughs> then you started killing. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's played for laughs how wrathful God is. But yeah, I just... looking back on it it's more clever than i originally thought it is more clever than than we did think initially then the scene changes to god and gabriel attending a attending to some business in heaven angels with wings that are molting and uh the like gabriel starts polishing his horn right (laughs) next to god but god tells him to stop playing with his horn and uh gabriel gets ready to blow into his horn and god is like no Gabriel's like, I just wanted to make sure I remembered how to do this. And I totally wasn't going to start a war with Earth and Heaven and Hell. <laughs> Which I don't know. Like, they mention Satan and that he's causing trouble, but it doesn't sound like they talk about the war in Heaven or Satan being cast out yet. No. they reference Satan later, too. Yeah. they. Uh, it's because it's not... It's definitely not mentioned in Genesis. I want to say that it's a touched-on thing in non-Christian parts of the Abrahamic religions, but Christianity has this weird focus on it. (laughs) Well, because Satan's the boogeyman. Yeah. So Satan, Satan is the tempter, so that's the whole thing is you're supposed to be following god and not satan yeah. and so if you're doing sins and bad stuff then uh, you're being you're yeah. being led by satan and and i feel that christianity kind of focuses on that more than islam or judaism granted i am not proficient in either of those religions in the studies of them at least um or practices or like i i have a very minimal exposure compared to christianity but christianity is obsessed with the war in heaven and then the war after yeah yeah that's that's where gabriel with his horn is is he's he's getting his horn ready for he wants to he wants to play with his toy he wants to play with his toy god gave him a horn and he's like well i want to play my horn yeah i just i love that though where he's just no i was just just seeing if it works. He's making sure it works, God. <laughs> oh, and then my favorite thing, one of the, the heaven business that they're talking about is that the uh, the moon. Yes! The moon is getting too hot and is melting because it's made of cheese. You want to know why the moon is getting too hot, <laughs> listeners? Because angels are partying on the moon. They go to the moon on Saturday and they party so hard and it makes the moon hot because they're all flapping their wings and having a good old time. Mm-hmm. And so God decrees that dancing on the moon is a sin and to stop. Dancing is not a crime, even till the end of t- Footloose? Yeah. 
No angels on the moon. <laughs> That's a deep cut. That's a very deep cut. God then decides to check up on his science experiment. Humans. The last time he left them, he wasn't too thrilled with how they were behaving. I think we're approaching when God decided to drown the planet to teach them a lesson. <laughs> God is strolling around on Earth and is like, Ah, quiet. I like quiet on a Sunday. And then a woman is singing and playing on her ukulele, and God is like, I don't like that at all! And he goes over to tell her to stop playing and having fun. Sunday is for resting only, not having any fun. God asks what family this woman is from, and Zeba, did I say that right? Zeba? Yes, it is Zeba. Zeba tells, her, uh, tells God that she is the great-great-granddaughter of Seth, and God is like, Seth was a good man. How are you his granddaughter? And then Zeba is just kind of like, she's being insulting to God, and then she goes back to playing her ukulele, like, mm -hmm. I don't have to listen to you. I'm going to do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And then Zeba's boyfriend shows up, and he's apologizing. I think now that I think about it, I think that he's he's supposed to be portrayed as being drunk when he shows up. Yeah, because he has kind of like this, this, yeah. this uh, wobble to his walk, mm -hmm. and then he just kind of falls down on the ground he's next to her. Drunk and has been gallivanting with women. Yes, exactly. He basically tells Zeba that he apologizes for being late because he was uh, doing inappropriate things with other people. Mm -hmm. God is like, what is your name? And the man is like, I'm Cain the Sixth. And then God <laughs> yeah. is like, that's what I was afraid of. <laughs> God has this attitude of like, I should have killed Cain before he had a chance to have a family and make more of these like I told him to do. And then uh, and then uh, Cain the Sixth plops down on Zeba's lap and rests his head. And then he pulls out a gun from his pocket to be like, ha, I can kill anyone that flirts with my Zeba. And Zeba's like, I am only for you. Which is not, mm -hmm. which is not true. We see that later. God walks away very disappointed with these two humans, and soon to be more disappointed with the whole as he comes around some other humans praying, praying to God. But they're <laughs> praying for all the wrong reasons. They're praying to God to grant them luck in their gambling. And these folks are shooting dice, drinking alcohol, and smoking ten-cent cigars, I assume. Ten-cent, because mm -hmm. that's the running theme. Yep. And God is displeased with the gamblers and drinkers. And one of the gamblers calls God liver lips and tells him to go away. Mm. God is very displeased. But then he runs into Noah, who is all... There was one thing in between. It was either in between Zeba and the gamblers or the gamblers and Noah where he walks past a patch of flowers and I thought it was cute. It's after the gamblers. Yeah, and he's just like, good morning, flowers. Good morning, God! <laughs> yeah, and thankfully they did not superimpose child faces on the flowers. Uh, Thank you for that movie. Yeah, I was. it was much cuter just the, God, the flowers to talk to God yeah, and all yeah. have little children voices. Yeah. That was really cute. That was. But God is walking and he runs into Noah. Uh oh. So God runs into Noah. And Noah is like, yeah, people are lazy and they're sinning all the time. Noah invites undercover God to come to his house, <laughs> house for dinner. <laughs> Noah offers. <laughs> Noah offers God a cigar and asks him what's wrong with the people in the world. Or no, sorry, God offers Noah a cigar and asks him what's wrong with these people in the world. Noah is like. The men are bad, but the women, ugh, the women are worse. I'm so sorry. I just love Undercover God. I do too. I feel like uh, that could be a funny show. Undercover God, like... <laughs> like Undercover Boss. <laughs> it had... No, Noah told me that it hasn't rained in months and that 
he's been having a hard time getting his food, and I just, I had no idea that this was a problem. I had no idea that no one needed to eat. Exactly. I, do all my other employees need to eat? Oh my goodness, they all do. Oh my me! <laughs> oh my me, they all have to eat. What have I done? This week on Undercover God. <laughs> oh, it'd be really funny. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Noah invites Undercover God to come to his house for dinner. When they show up, God offers Noah a cigar and asks him what's wrong with these people in the world. Noah is like, the men are bad, but the women, oh, the women are worse. Only God knows what he's going to do with them. And then, ow, cries Noah, my old bum knee is acting up. It might be a sign of rain. And then God is like, spoilers, Noah. <laughs> and then he reveals himself to Noah and tells him that he wants Noah to build a boat and gather two of every animal and put his family on it because there might be a storm coming. And this was the part that in talking about it again, I went, wait a minute. God doesn't have the idea to flood the earth right away. Yeah, God is not super brilliant in yeah, this. God he, doesn't have all the answers. Noah says, oh, a storm might be coming. And then you hear the a pain little in bit his of, knee. Yeah, the pain in his knee and you hear a little rumble and God goes, yeah, like, a yeah. storm is coming. And so it's one of those like, God gets his ideas from his creation. So does that make Noah an accomplice to mass genocide? Yes, yes it does. <laughs> yes, it does. I even didn't if, flood the world. Even if he was an unwitting I didn't flood the accomplice. world. I just gave God the idea to flood the world. Yeah. Noah then asks God about booze. Can he take a, any booze on board the ship? <laughs> God is like, you can have a keg of liquor. And then Noah's like, how about two kegs of liquor? We can put them on either side of the ship and use it to balance it. And God is like, one keg of liquor, Noah. You'll put it in the middle of the ship. Yes, God. <laughs> yep, it's exactly right. He goes, yes, Lord. <laughs> Cut to Noah, who's now working on the ark while being ridiculed by all the other humans who mm -hmm. tell Noah that he's crazy. And one of them has a line of like, when I was a kid building boats, we did it by the water. We are going to have to have the water come to you, Noah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's just like, that's exactly what's going to exactly, happen. It's exactly what's going to happen. They're all have the last laugh. Noah is like, well, I'll have the last laugh, because you all will be dead soon. Because <laughs> you'll all be dead people heckling. We see Cain and we see Cain the sixth, who brings his friends to mock Noah, but then he sees Zeba, who's hanging around with Flatfoot, which displeases Cain the sixth, who then stabs Flatfoot for hanging out with his woman. People are stunned for a moment, but then they laugh at the dead man because they're yep. all sinners. Yep. And what was another good touch um, is Noah's, you know, cataloging which animals are coming in and they're talking about, oh, well, we need the aardvarks. We need, uh, I can't remember what the animal was that they couldn't easily get. And so Noah's like, well, the circus was in town, so they should still have some. <laughs> and that's a nice little callback to what the kids... But they were seeing the circus when poster. When they saw the circus poster. Or billboard, I guess. Mm -hmm. And the aardvarks are actually shown being brought onto the boat. <laughs> and the bees. <laughs> the bees! They're in my eyes! People continue mocking Noah for building a boat away from the water. And that he should pray for rain. Noah is like, that's what I'm not praying for, sinner. And then it starts to rain. 
and Noah rushes to get all of the animals on board the ark as it starts raining cats and dogs. And everybody's like fleeing because they're like, oh, it's really coming down. And Noah's mm-hmm. like, oh, crap, move, move. Get that alligator out there. Get those hippos. Zebras, zebras, move it. A couple of people in gorilla costumes. That was funny. Parts. That was a nice touch. <laughs> then the angels start singing, moving, moving. Moving Lord. Uh, I'm sure that's a completely wrong tune because I'm musically challenged, but... It's okay. All while everyone in the world drowns and dies. They don't show it on camera they don't because they it. learned their lesson from the last Noah's Ark movie. <laughs> they they don't show all the people dying. Oh, wait, you're saying that because people actually died on set in that Noah's Ark movie. Mm-hmm. That's where they learned. You don't flood the set. Death's that was before actors were people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or I guess I should say before extras were people. <laughs> then why are they still called extras? They're like red shirts. <laughs> For a time, they were the extra people. The storm is over, okay? And the waters recede and we see a rainbow. And then God shows up to be like, I like the planet now that all those sinners are dead. Mm-hmm. God then tells Noah to plant all of the seeds that they have and replant all of the world. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. It's like, you imagine being Noah. It's like, even if you live to be as old as Noah, Mm -hmm. like walking the Mm -hmm. earth to try and plant everything. Yeah. A child asks if God was happy then. And Mr. Deshay is like, nope, God left for a while. But then he looked down one day and was very, very angry at what humans were doing. But then we see some maid angels gossiping around in God's office. (laughs) I love this scene. God is mad at earth and the humans on it. Down on Earth, they've been making the devil their king, and they're working three shifts for him. God is stumped as to what to do. Gabriel suggests that God flood the planet again. God then tells Gabriel Mm -hmm. to round up some angels, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm -hmm. And then he tells Gabriel to tell Satan to stop acting up. (laughs) Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob come into God's office, and God asks them, what's the best piece of land on Earth? And who should and who should be in charge of all the humans on Earth? Abraham offers up his great 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 grandson to lead humans. However, he's in Egypt at the moment, and he's in a little bit of trouble with the law on account of their people are enslaved and all. And he uh kind of did a murder. Kind of kind of did a murder. He's kind of following in Cain's footsteps at the moment. I mean, it was a justified murder, but he still kind of did a murder. He still kind of did a murder. <laughs> God is like, yeah, I know that the Hebrews are slaves. I put them there. But don't worry, I'll take them out of slavery and we'll make Moses do the stuff. Meanwhile, Moses is doing some sheep herding when God speaks to Moses as the burning bush. After Moses believes that he is God, God then appears and is like, haha, it was just a trick. In fact, I'm going to teach you how to do tricks. Mm-hmm. Moses asks if he's supposed to join the circus. And God <laughs> is like, nope, you're just going down to Egypt to tell King Pharaoh to let uh, all the people go. And then you're going to lead them to the land of Canaan. Mm-hmm. Moses asks if he can bring his brother with him. And God is like, sure. And poof. God brings over Aaron. <laughs> and I love that Aaron's <laughs> in the background this whole time and then just suddenly, whoop. Yep. <laughs> they did some some cool 1930s camera tricks, you know, mm-hmm. for that. And poof, God brings Aaron over. God then tells them to watch his neat stick trick. <laughs> and we all know what the stick trick is. It's, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> what? I think it's a pretty neat stick trick. Well, you've never heard me talk about it before. The scene changes to King Pharaoh's chambers in this Egypt. Is a sneeze. 
squeaky beans all over again. <laughs> you kids want to see a stick trick? <laughs> Meanwhile, in King Pharaoh's chambers, he's asking his personal magician how the killing of all the Hebrew babies is going. And the magician is like, pretty good. We killed about a thousand last night. And then Pharaoh tells him to leave oh. and to go cut off some brickmakers' hands if they're not able to make bricks without straw. Mm -hmm. I guess there's a straw shortage? Uh, or he's, he's just being a jerk? He's being a jerk and getting rid of straw, like not giving them straw and then like, oh... If you're... You know, Pharaoh is like the progenitor of the American baking shows when they're like, you have to make something, but you can't use salt or flour <laughs> or a knife. Cutthroat. Welcome to Cutthroat Pharaoh. <laughs> Literally, he'll cut your throat. Mm -hmm. As the magician is leaving, he's like, oh, and these two country boys are here to see you, Pharaoh. Moses shows his snake trick to the Pharaoh, and he's like, whoa. His stick trick. Yeah, his stick trick. His stick trick, where the, the stick trick is that the stick turns into a snake. Mm -hmm. And then back into a stick. And the pharaoh is like, whoa, are you Hebrews? What are you? And then he's like, yeah, are you Hebrews? And he's like, yes, we are Hebrews. And he's like, kill the Hebrews. <laughs> and then the guards try to kill Moses and Aaron, but they can't because God magic. <laughs> Was it Aaron swinging a stick around? Yeah. And it's like making a barrier that, yep. they, that they can't yep. kill them. And Aaron, uh, yeah. And then so the pharaoh calls his magician to do a magic showdown. But Moses blocks the magician's spell with a cat with a god counter spell <laughs> pharaoh was like wow that's a pretty good trick since you entertained me with your trick i'll do you a favor what do you want from me pharaoh king of all egypt anything and i'll grant it <laughs> and then moses is like free all the hebrews and pharaoh was like no they're Anything my but that. They're my slaves, and I hate them. And if I free them, then I won't have any of them to kill or maim just for the lulls. And then Moses is like, well, if you don't let them go, I'll do my big trick. And you won't like it, because once I do it, it can't be undone. And Pharaoh was like, nah, I'm God here, and I can do tricks. And then Moses tells Aaron to raise the rod. And Aaron does so, and thunder and lightning comes, and all the firstborn sons fall down dead, including Pharaoh's son. Pharaoh is then sad, and he's like, fine, take the Hebrews and go. Skipping nine stages, but... <laughs> <laughs> also, they skip the part where Pharaoh comes after them. As yeah. Because we don't ever see the uh, parting of the Red Sea. Yeah, because that special effect hadn't been uh, mastered yet, eh. for this at least. True. Moses does just that, and as we see all the Hebrews on the exodus out of Egypt and singing as they march, turns out they've been marching for 40 years, and Moses is a wee bit tired. He needs a nap, but then Joshua comes in to be like, We're here! The city of Jericho is across the river Jordan! We're here! But the city has walls, and we don't have enough people to take it by force! Moses tells Joshua to take the ram's horn and have all the, the uh, fighting men Walk around the city, and the Lord will take care of the rest. Moses tells Aaron to take care of the Ark of the Covenant, and Moses just sits on this rock as every Hebrew walks by and touches him on the shoulder as they leave. Moses, just chilling on the rock when God shows up, and leads Moses away to his own promised land that's way nicer than Canaan. He even mm -hmm. tells him, I'm going to take you to a place much nicer than Canaan. Yep. But as they're walking, Moses is like, But, but Lord... I told the fighting men to walk around Jericho and that you would help them. 
But you're here helping me. Your God, but how can you be in two places at once doing two different things? And God is like, lol, 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 lol. I'm God. <laughs> I'm God. I can do both. <laughs> Listen. And Moses hears as the walls of Jericho break and crumble down. God continues leading Moses away on top of a mountain to never be seen again. Mm-hmm. Back in the real world, a Mr. Deshay is telling the kids that those kids got those kids on Earth got in trouble again, and this time in a place called Babylon, where they're doing bad stuff. The people are engaged in debauchery, especially the, especially the king, who orders women to dance for him, and he says, "Please, the king." Mm-hmm. The party is brought down as the prophet of the Lord comes in to tell people that they're being naughty and that they need to repent, otherwise God will punish them. And bam, the prophet is shot dead and killed by order of the king. And God speaks to the people and says, You people keep being naughty. Stop being naughty. I'm tired of you being naughty. I keep trying to help you and, I, and to teach you, but then you keep being naughty. I'm going to leave you a... I'm going to give you a big spanking. A spanking <laughs> so big you'll die. I actually kind of like that scene because they're in mm-hmm. like this, what kind of looks like a... I guess like a dining room area. It's yeah, kind of classy. Bit like a club. Yeah, like a club. That's a good way of putting it. In. People are in fancy clothing and stuff, and and carrying on and and having a good time and stuff. And the king of Babylon has got gold chains on him and a crown, mm-hmm. you know. And and uh, but when God shows up, the way that they portray it in this, because you don't see God, it's like he's yelling at them from heaven mm-hmm. because they all turn and they just look up. Yeah. And they cut the lights in the scene, but then they shine a spotlight on everybody, so mm-hmm. it's dark behind them. But in front of them is all illuminated, and they all have just yeah. this, this horror look on their face, like, oh, no, mm-hmm. as God is telling them that they're all in very big trouble. And that he's done with them. He's he done. doesn't want to talk to them. He doesn't want to hear anything from them. He's done with humans, period. Yeah. And then back in heaven, God is moping around in his office when the delegation of heaven Hebrews come in to ask God to go back to earth and be God once again of the Hebrews. And God is like, You've been asking me to do this every day for hundreds of years, and I'm still saying no. I've washed my hands of the Hebrew people and all the peoples of Earth. God then stomps around his office, being all mopey, until he hears the pleas of uh, the pleas of Hezdrel. Did I say that right? Yes, Hezdrel. And this is one of my favorite scenes this, in the movie. This is where because we're reaching the end, and this is where there is. A turn. There is a yes. turn in in the way things are presented. Yeah, and, and it's beautiful. And it, Rex Ingram's acting is amazing. It is pretty good. So and uh, so he God hears the pleas of he of uh, Hezdrel, and it's interesting the way he says because the way that God talks, he says, I, "I hear something. It's not quite prayers, but I can't stop listening." Mm-hmm. Kind of thing, and so he's like he's like listening against his will. He doesn't want to, but he he's drawn to this Hezrael fellow. Yeah, and uh, Hezrael, who is defending Jerusalem, God is like he's talking in a way that I have to listen, but he's not quite praying. But I'm not going to help you, Hezrael. Hezrael is like, oh well, even if King Harold comes to capture Herod, Jer- I swear they call him Harold. <laughs> I swear they call him Harold. <laughs> We're gonna have to pull that thing back up and. Yeah, this this is the King Herod that uh, takes Jerusalem and 
is it's I want to say he's the first of the King See, Herods. And I thought because that was the thing too when they said Harold, I was like, or when they said Herod, I was mm-hmm. like, did they? It was I, an accent I, thing. I, okay, I swear mm-hmm. I heard Herald, and then yeah. I was like, do they mean Herod? Yeah, and I was like it was Herod. I don't know. Is Harold a biblical name? I'll go with the movie. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's 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 that Herod. Gotcha. So even if King Herod comes and captures Jerusalem and kills all of us, we'll just be welcomed by God when we die. And God is having a crisis in heaven because he's like, I don't want to help you, but I'm upset for some reason. So I'll come down to earth to make myself feel better. Yep. God shows up and sees Hezdrel, who looks just like Adam. And God gets some nostalgia for his first human. Hezdrel is all... Are you a preacher? And God is like, uh, sure. I've come a long way to ask you. Why do you keep fighting? What do you believe in? And Hezdrel is all, we have this new God, a God of mercy, who we learned through suffering. Because old God was upset because he lived with man for so long. All he saw was man's sins. And that's what made him wrathful. But he's a kind, merciful God now. And mm-hmm. God is like, huh. Thanks, Hezdrel. You uh, taught me something. Oh, I get chills with that scene. It it get it is an interesting scene because when he's like, "Well, what god do you worship?" He's like, "Well, we worship God. You know, we have this God of mercy and stuff." And he's just like, "But there's only one God, and I'm mm-hmm. wrathful." And yeah. So he's like, "Well, this new and that I, I did like that way that they put it that the old God was wrathful because he spent so much time with humans, all he was able to see was their sins." Yes. And I was like, "That's an interesting perspective." Yes, it's a very, it's a very good view in my eyes and a good way of. Bring of showing that shift, especially between... for the 1930s. Yeah, it's, that's what that's makes it why so I was different. Like, yeah, that's why I'm so confused by it. Yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, King Herod comes to claim the city, and all the men with Hezdrel rush off to die in battle, defending the city. And then the scene goes back to heaven, where all the angels are singing around God, who is pouting in his thinking chair. God offers him. Uh, Gabriel offers God a cigar, but God says no. He's not upset, he's just thinking. God's been thinking about what Hezdrel said to him, and God has a crisis of faith, I think? Mm-hmm. God decides that God has to suffer in order to learn mercy. Meanwhile, the angels are watching a crucifixion happening on Earth, yep. and they're like, wow, that sucks. That's a really big bummer. That's a rough thing to have to go through. And God is like, that's what I'll do. I'll crucify myself to learn mercy. Mm, and he even starts to slowly yeah, go into the pose. He puts his hands out, like, as he realizes, huh, and his arms kind of spread, and it's not quite the full crucifix Yeah. Pose. His arms are down, bent, but his palms are kind of facing up. Yeah, it's, it's a powerful... Because then it shifts it from instead of it being like God came down to save us, it's God coming down to understand... His you know, creation. The other thing too is you could almost say that God was saved by his creations. Yes. Yes. And it's another way to look at that it. That is I really like that. <laughs> it's because like you, I do have hang ups about the whole sacrifice part. Having it instead being that God was trying to understand his creation and got this idea of, oh, I have to suffer to understand what they're going through and to 
to then be merciful. Be merciful to them. Be merciful and understanding because I have gone through suffering, so therefore I understand. Yeah. It's, it, it is a it is whew. definitely a really interesting way to approach that dynamic. And it's not something I would have expected no. from a Hollywood movie in the 30s. It's, no, especially especially with that opening <laughs> scroll where they're like, look at these dumb black people. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's like, huh, huh. And yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here like, is part of that on the actor? Is part of that on the writing? The writing? Yeah. What what did this and why is this not I mean I know why this isn't the thing that's the most talked about because as soon as you have that opening scroll depending on where your mind is you either write off the movie completely or it's like you know, oh, look at this cute, charming way of presenting the Bible, and you don't think anything uh-huh. of it yeah. after that. You you don't you don't take it one step further, and then circle back around and start yeah. que- and start questioning your own views. Like yes, like if I apply this new understanding to my own views, do my views take on a new light? Yes, it doesn't. It doesn't do that. And the same kind of yeah, exactly what you're talking about. Either you kind of write it off, or you just go any anything that bounces against your your pre-existing filter you just kind of write off and go oh it's these it's these silly black southern people yeah kind of thing. yeah it's the it's the simple folk like yeah which i will tell you that is one thing that pisses me off a lot <laughs> Absolutely. i can say pisses off in this i agree because mm, mm, no mm. It, it makes me angry as well the whole low information southern mm-hmm. i'm like yeah, Mm-mm. absolutely, Mm-mm. because it's the same kind of thing. It's like, Res- it's like respect let's, them. Let's well, the same thing. It's like let's approach it from your racist viewpoint. Mm. Why are they low information? Maybe it's perhaps they you won't let them into your schools. Yeah, well, you won't and... let them have schools. They have to come together, build their own schools, and pick somebody to be a teacher. And not just that, but like people who are saying, "Oh, the low information black voter in the South," and it's like, no, they're not low information because you have a different racism smacks differently in the south from the north mm. it smacks very differently so you have to you have to be able to negotiate stuff so it's it's i think that that's where some of my anger at this movie's opening scrawl also comes from is i'm like come on <laughs> so after god has the realization that he needs to crucify himself to learn mercy mm-hmm. god then smiles and takes a bit of a crucifixion pose as the camera zooms out and the scene goes back to the church and the Sunday class has dismissed. Yes. That was a big bark. I, okay, this is the note that actually changes because I have it in here and it says, I did not really care for this show overall. None of the music or songs spoke to me. I didn't like the condescending views towards black people. However, mm-hmm. God being a bit more human and learning mercy from humans was an interesting thought experiment. And the whole show basically just tells the story of Genesis but with racism. Yep. So that was my initial note when I was writing this down before Kay and I started to to approach it from a philosophical viewpoint, start peeling back the onion that is yeah. this show. And I have to change that last note. It's like I, I do have to I do have to kind of pick and choose pick and choose yeah. with this show. Yeah. Uh, the biggest thing is is uh throwing away that opening scrawl. Mm-hmm. As soon as I throw that away, the show has a different light. It mm-hmm. is very interesting the way that they represent God in this, just almost being just a man. Yeah. But with divine powers, you know? Yeah. And just the fact that you have this 
It is, you know, and it's something that isn't really talked about in religious studies about the difference in God between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It, it's it's not talked about outside of if your focus is religious studies. And even then, it's whether or not you decide to focus on that part. But at the and, same time, there isn't really, there. there's not something that bridges those two. Because you have the Old Testament, yeah. and then hundreds of years later, you have... Jesus and it's it's the telling of of Jesus and those stories you know yeah. didn't happen until 150 years after his his death yeah and then it was the, all at the very least um it's it's that um because like there are apocryphal scriptures and stuff like that but if you're studying from a Christian aspect you don't ever branch the old and the New Testament really like there's there's nothing there because there's way more scriptures than just what we have in the old testament if i remember right in judaism uh islam has the quran and that's completely different from the uh christian bible so it's just a very it's 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 this was so interesting and another thing that just came to my mind is that I think this movie was so successful, like, after after a period of time, you just get sucked into this world. And if you're, I can't put myself in the mindset of a white person back in the day watching this. I can only Yeah, you don't put, want to either. Yeah, and I don't want to. But I almost wonder if this had a... If this had a side effect on some people, if it maybe like 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 if it maybe uh, opened them up, is that slightly, what you're it wouldn't have opened bit? them up completely. It because, just cra- cracked the door, maybe. Yeah, it may have cracked open the door a little bit because after this, you get Cabin in the Sky, you get Rex Ingram getting a lot more roles, you get more black shows. So I don't know if this did facilitate that at all or not you know, it, it is a it is a iffy top well i shouldn't say iffy it is a it is a a complicated topic yeah mostly because the history of race relations in the united states is a complicated topic mm-hmm. because even when you had you know even when we go back and you had slavery there were people who mm-hmm. knew slavery was wrong that didn't have slaves yeah so it's like the way that morality works is it's like there are people who knew that it was wrong to be othering another group of humans. Yeah. Uh, but the powers that be really liked having that power and control and money. And so yeah. it just kind of continues. And then it kind of trickles down, you know, through mm-hmm. the decades still. So even in the 1930s, you still have, you know, segregation and oh, Jim boy, Crow and all that stuff. So you have, you know, you have slavery light mm-hmm. uh, going on, but there's still people who know that that's wrong there's yeah. still people who know that it's wrong to be treating you know quote unquote all god's children differently yeah i'm i'm just more thinking what the effect would have been like because this was so popular and you're having these bible stories portrayed by an all black cast and that's something that americans like american christians hold that stuff so sacred like it makes me wonder what seeds this might have planted in people to have <laughs> their 
most holy thing presented to them and seeing the humanity I wonder how many people got their opinion. Like, they didn't get their opinions completely flipped by this. They, this movie couldn't have done that. Yeah, they, they, but, didn't, they didn't have their prejudices uh, dissolved. No, but, but they may this have had might have softened. been a seed. Yeah, but at the same time, I almost wonder, like, it's very obvious why the show didn't take it one step further because mm-hmm. I feel like if you would have had Black Jesus, that would have been yeah, where a lot that of people would have, dropped off. Yeah, that would have dropped off everybody. <laughs> Not everybody, but it would have dropped off uh, a lot of people. A lot of... <laughs> the people who weren't racist, it wouldn't have dropped the them third. off. Yeah. Because they would have been like, well, everybody else is black, so by logic, Jesus would be black, even though yeah. Jesus left in the Middle East, Jesus was brown. Uh, yeah, Jesus was not white. He was not blonde. He was not blue-eyed. <laughs> That would have been one heck of a recessive gene otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus was a leucistic African. (laughs) Like, I I just, I sit here and I I kind of wonder how many people had the first Jenga block taken out. I will say, though, that I don't think they could have gotten away with Black Jesus at all. Um, Oh, no. I think that's probably why they didn't even attempt it. Yeah, because... Even your most well-meaning white people at the time probably still would not have been okay with that. Black people probably, if it was made by black people for black people in a black theater, that would have been one thing. But as soon as you see it in wide release, it's like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. Yeah, it it would have been too upsetting to the uh, established power dynamic, Mm -hmm. and that would have not sat well with the powers that be yeah it's it's kind of like when you've heard me talk about things that will happen that i will just be sitting there going no 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 this is going to be bad for me later that's sort of i think where if there had been a black jesus moment that would have been the thought process as you're sitting in the theater going oh no oh no oh no oh no you know what i will say though i i i don't would this be in the public domain now no dang it 36 well what was the public domain now? Uh, 25, I mm. want to say. Because, wait. No, no. Well, either when this is in the public domain, or maybe whoever holds the copyrights for it, they need to be brave and do a, a, a re-release of it, mm-hmm. a, a re- reimagining of it. And I would actually like to see them carry it one step further mm-hmm. and have it show God either going to Mary or... Denzel! Ooh. Denzel! Ooh, you've been you've been you've been doing some amazing work right now with fences and Ma Rainey's. Denzel, get rid of the opening scroll. Let's update it. Let's make this green let's, pastures mm-hmm. needs an update. Let's let's fix this because it's got such a good message. It has it has it, a very good core. It's one of those things that is so maddening about it. Is it, the yeah. core is so good. The core and I think that's that's what resonated with people and that's what made it so successful. Yeah. Was that it had such a good core. Mm-hmm. They just had to wrap it in a racist friendly exterior. Yeah. As to not alienate in, a wider audience for the time. Yeah, in a racist and uh mostly christian exterior because there is a lot of the fluff that uh that you have to keep to make it accessible to that audience um but again like because they do a very faith like 
it's a very good way. They don't get too much wrong with what you would be teaching in Sunday school for Genesis through uh, whatever the last book is. Uh, I can't remember what the last book of the Old Testament is. I'm bad. Anyways. Um, but yeah, it's they do a very good retelling of it in the way that you would bring it to a Sunday school class and not taking the the basic story liberties are not really taken too much. They don't suddenly have and a unicorn got on the ark too. They don't have that. They just keep it they still keep it grounded in a in a reality that works. And yeah, I Yes. This show. This is one of this, this show, man. I might have had the biggest um, one eighty out of yeah with this show than I have with any other shows. Yeah, but just because I went into it not liking it, and by the end of it, you know, I read my last note. I I wasn't a fan of it, but then us mm-hmm. talking about it changed my perception, and then yeah. I realized that there actually is a lot of good in it. And now now I'm a fan of it. Yeah, minus a few things. My yeah, uh, there's some <laughs> things that are. There's some things that are really troubling. And minus the 1930 things. Yeah, the 1930s things. Not great, but... but... Interesting, interesting show. And, yeah. And needs a, needs a revisit, needs to be modernized. Yeah. Because uh, I know I had mentioned to you the, the other day um, that I kind of view this show a little bit as a mix between Godspell and uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor mm-hmm. Dreamcoat, but... It was before either of those in terms of production. But it has the feeling of both of those. Yeah. It's Old Testament, but it has a modern flair. You know, modern, quote-unquote, because it takes place in the 1930s and all the people involved have, you know, 1930s clothing and stuff like that. I would be curious to find out if... Because I didn't see anything when I was doing the research for Godspell and Joseph... I would be curious to know if, well, Joseph is prior to Godspell. I would be curious to ask Weber and Schwartz, have you seen Green Pastures? Has that been a subconscious influence? Because that is, in fact, it could just be that, huh, no, it may not have even influenced him because... I don't want Weber to know about it because I don't want Weber to do anything with it. Because Weber will make me not like it. Weber is not a fool. Love never dies. Weber is not that much of a fool to do to try to take on green pastures. I don't think he would be foolish enough to do that because he cannot be allowed near... Many, many properties. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, because I don't know if I would have to do, uh, and that would be more research, I would have to do some research into other biblical plays and if any kind of took the same sort of route that Green Pastures did before Green Pastures, or if Green Pastures was the creator of that genre of because it's not a liturgical play because it was on Broadway What's uh, liturgical? liturgical like church based it's oh, not oh. it's not a play for a church which technically Joseph was oh like it it was for that children's choir and that's why it's it, it it wasn't strictly a church play but a church choir was the first to do it 
um, back when it was a cantata. And I kind of wonder that with... <sighs> this has me thinking so many things, and I'm sitting here going, I want to spend like a month researching it, but at the same time, <laughs> I'm not... I told myself I wouldn't do that. Make a sticky note, and then just you can check up on it. I will check up on this one, because... Yeah, it's it's planted a lot of seeds in my brain. Yeah, I this one this one will will kind of stick with me. And yeah, that's the thing is I, is I, as I'm looking at it, I'm going. It has the potential to be so much more, and and I think what stuck with me the mo- what made it stick in my brain is that scene with God trying to block out Hesdrail or Hesdrail because that scene was what flipped the switches it started flipping switches in my brain it took a while for my brain to make the connections because (laughs) it was having to get past my anger at that opening scroll yeah the anger (laughs) of that opening scroll because yeah as soon as you if you don't have that opening scroll whole movie's different seriously if you were to show this for people like now I would just jump forward past the scroll and play it from there. Yeah, yeah. That's an experiment to do. You know, that would be an experiment. You get <laughs> ten pe- ten different groups. One group you show the the entirety. The other one you play it mm-hmm. after the scroll. And then ask them their opinions. Yeah. Uh, I don't need more experiments. But anyway, yeah. Green Pastures, y'all. <laughs> this movie was complicated. It made us think. It made us think a lot. It made us talk. It made us reflect. Made me think a lot more than the next one that we're going to be doing well. Because I have seen the next one a lot more recently, and it's pretty straightforward. Um, We will be jumping from Green Pastures to the one that uh, we did this one to prepare for, which is Cabin in the Sky. Is the Cabin in the Sky supposed to be heaven? You'll find out. I mean... I, I will tell you that this will be influenced by two shows you have seen. Wait, one is this. Or I, sorry, three shows you have seen. One of them is... Oh, three shows One is this. Mm. And we'll talk about what the other two are in my prepared notes so that okay. I don't give it away. Okay. But don't you give know it away, who will be away, back. Give it away now. You know who will be back for us with Cabin in the Sky? Uh, Tone Deaf Alumnus. Rex. No, well, yes, Rex, but another one. Who? Lena Horn. Yeah! Give me some Lena. Yes. So, I mean, you won't like her as much in this one. Oh. But. Does she sing? Yes. Cool. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> You're like, you can't have Lena Horn. You can't her have her without. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Anyway, next, next episode, we are going to do Cabin in the Sky. Woo! So, thank you all so much for listening to this wild, bizarre episode of Tone Deaf. This bit of an Ouroboros, because we circled yeah. back in on ourselves and then just kept circling back in on ourselves. Yeah, because it made us think. It made us a think. A lot. We had, to, we had to pause for reflection. Yes. Which is good. I encourage everybody to question their own uh, views on things, and when yes. you receive new information, then uh, take a moment to ponder and see if it gives you new ideas. Absolutely. Speaking of, if you have any new ideas, 
how can they help us out? Well, you can reach out to Kay and I on our home base, which is ToneDeafMusical.com. There we have links to all of our wonderful social medias, our Twitters, our Instagrams, our Facebooks, as well as a link to the Cast Junkie Discord server, which is not safe for work. But, you know, as of late, it's not too bad. I mean, mm -hmm. depends. It depends on how uh, slap happy you are. <laughs> But uh, the whole entire Cast Junkie Discord community, there's a lot of great shows there and a uh, nice community fun of, full of fun people, and you can come hang out and say hi. Yes. If you want to help out the show, please drop a review on iTunes, Podchaser, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Five-star reviews really do help the show, helps us get up in the rankings so that more people can find out and more people can learn. And if you ask Kay to sing your review, Kay will sing the review on the show. Yes. And if you mention lots in your review, who is the uh, mostly silent co-host that you've heard throughout some of this episode with yes. her tearing and drinking and chewing, uh, she gets a cookie. Yes, she gets herself a cookie. Um, and if you want to go above and beyond, you can support us on our Patreon, which is Tone Deaf Musical. You can also buy uh, t-shirts, sweaters, stickers, masks at <laughs> our Public, uh, which is also Tone Deaf Musical and is linked on our website, ToneDeafMusical.com. Anyway, I think that'll be it for this episode. I'm Kay. I'm Warren. And this has been Tone Deaf. Deaf. Salad time. Woo! Let's get some salad. Woo! Gonna cover it in ranch and bacon Woo! bits, then it's not in. It's not healthy anymore. Wait, hide the bacon in the left. Yay, hide the bacon in the lettuce. Eat some lettuce.